Welcome back to our study of the Psalms. In this session, we are going to talk about how the Psalms point to Jesus, how the Psalms are about Jesus, how the Psalms are connected to Jesus. So last time we talked about opening or walking through different doorways uh, into a room gives you a different perspective or a different angle on the room. It helps you see it in a different way. And so last time, the doorway we walked through into the Psalms was the Psalms telling a story. Books one through five, the five books of the Psalms, uh, each focus on a different part of the story of Israel uh, from David up into the return from exile. And so we looked at how that uh, helps us understand what's going on in the Psalms, uh, both individually, in particular statements in the Psalms, but also as a big picture telling that part of the story of Israel. This time, we're going to walk through a different doorway to help us see how the Psalms are connected to Christ. Now, normally when we come to the Psalms, the doorway most of us probably walk through is this. We come to the Psalms looking for things in the Psalms that resonate with our experience, right? If we're feeling depressed, we look for Psalms that express that feeling of of darkness and hardship and, and wanting God to, to bring light and restore us. If we are, um, you know, angry or grieved or wanting assurance of forgiveness or whatever, we find Psalms that resonate with whatever we are experiencing or feeling or whatever. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. That's a fantastic way to talk, to approach the Psalms. And we'll talk about that more in a different session, Lord willing. But we want to look at the Psalms uh, from multiple angles so that we get a fuller picture of what the Psalms uh, are saying and how uh, the Psalms are meant to help us and to teach us. And so there are multiple ways that uh, we need to approach the Psalms. And so one we want to look at in this session is looking at how the Psalms are about Jesus. So in this doorway, we're walking into the book of Psalms, not thinking, how does this relate to me, though there's nothing wrong with that, but thinking about how does this psalm relate to Christ, or how does the book of Psalms as a whole relate to Christ. Now, this is not something we are uh, making up or a conclusion we are jumping to. What we are doing here is we are following both the teaching and the example of Jesus. Okay, so first of all, Jesus tells us that the Psalms are about him. In Luke 24, 44, after Jesus has risen from the dead, he's appearing to his disciples and he's teaching them. One of the things he says in this, it says, Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. All right, so there's a lot going on there. We just want to focus on the fact that he says there were things written about him in the Psalms that had to be fulfilled. He's talking particularly there about his suffering and death and so on. So the Psalms, Jesus tells his disciples and tells us, the Psalms say things about him in advance that had to take place, things that had to be fulfilled that were spoken about him. So Jesus tells us, the Psalms are about him. But not only that, he shows us that the Psalms are about him throughout his life, uh, both in his teaching and in his suffering and death. 
he draws our attention to the fact that the Psalms speak about him. How does he do that? Well, let me give you several examples. First of all, when he's on the cross, there are multiple things that Jesus says, right? There are these last sayings of Jesus from the cross. And three of them in particular we're going to look at refer to the Psalms or are quotes from the Psalms. Two of them, I think, are quotes, and one of them is a, is a, a clear reference to the Psalms. So let's look at these. So Luke 23, 46, Jesus is on the cross, and it says, Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now, that line is probably familiar to you. You know that Jesus said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. But you might not know that when Jesus said that, he's quoting Psalm 31.5. Psalm 31.5 says, Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. So Jesus is using the words of Psalm 31 to communicate right, what he is doing. He's, he's taking his, as he's taking his last breath, as it were, he is, he's commending his spirit to God, committing his spirit to God, and then he breathes his last. Uh, so he's, he's connecting his experience to what was written in the Psalms. Even more famous than that one is Matthew 27, 46, where Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, that one you might know is a direct quote of Psalm 22, verse 1, which says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? You might even know that Psalm 22 uh, is really, in many ways, a, a prophecy or an anticipation of the sufferings of Christ on the cross. If you read through Psalm 22 and read Matthew's description of Jesus' crucifixion in Matthew 27, if you put those two side by side, uh, you will see a lot of connections, parallels, um, things that Psalm 22 speaks of that happen to Jesus. And so when Jesus says those words of Psalm 22, verse 1, he's drawing our attention to the fact that what he is experiencing on the cross was already spoken of in Psalm 22. Uh, all right, so that's two straight from the cross. Here's another one. In John 19, verse 28 and 29, it says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. Now, in this instance, it's not so much a quote of a psalm, as a fulfillment of a psalm through what Jesus says. So Jesus says, I thirst. And what happens when he, thir he says that is that they give him sour wine to drink. And that fulfills Psalm 69, verse 21, which says, They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. Now that psalm, Psalm 69, will come up again later. That's not the only line. Uh, of Psalm 69 that's fulfilled in Jesus. But it's not only things Jesus said from the cross, it's also the elements of his teaching that show us that Jesus fulfills the Psalms, that the Psalms are about Christ. For example, in Mark 12, verses 10 and 11, Jesus has just told the parable about the owner of the vineyard who sends different servants to come and collect uh, his 
you know, fee, as it were, right? Collect uh, the portion of the harvest that's his. And those servants keep, keep being mistreated or even killed. And so eventually he kills his son. And when, the, when he sends the son, what do they do? They kill the son. And then Jesus says, Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. He's quoting from Psalm 18, excuse me, or Psalm 118, verses 22 and 23. And what he's doing is he's saying, Psalm 118 speaks about a stone rejected by the builders that becomes the cornerstone, meaning the cornerstone, right, is the most significant stone, the most important stone, the stone that uh, either sets the trajectory for all the other stones or that uh, holds those stones together. And it's extremely important, important, extremely valuable stone, but it was initially rejected by those who were doing the building. And Jesus is saying, uh, he's the son in the parable, and that stone is him. The leaders of Israel are rejecting him, the builders, right? But he will be made the cornerstone, right? So again, he's saying Psalm 118, that's about me also. In Luke 20, verse 41 to 44, he's now uh, responding to those who have been um, asking him questions, right? And he says, how can they say that the Christ, the Messiah, is David's son? For David himself says in the book of Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. David calls, David thus calls him Lord, so how is he his son? Now the quote there, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, that's from Psalm 110 verse 1. Jesus even says, David says this in the book of Psalms. And he's asking the question, how can David say, the Lord, Yahweh, God, said to my Lord, who is that second Lord that David is talking about, that he calls Lord, whom God, the Lord, says to that second Lord, sit at my right hand? Well, we know the answer, right? It's Jesus. And the answer was standing right in front of him when Jesus asked him that question. How can David say this? Well, it's because David's descendant, who is the Messiah, is still greater than David, so that David calls him Lord. And he's going to ascend to God's right hand, right? Because he also is God, God in the flesh. So Psalm 110 is about Jesus. Uh, Jesus says in John 13, 18 to his disciples, he says, I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled he who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Of course, he's talking about Judas there, and he's quoting Psalm 41, verse 9, which says, Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. So over and over and over, Jesus shows us, both by his teaching and by uh, the events and words of his death, that the Psalms are about him. The Psalms are fulfilled in him. And he tells his disciples plainly in Luke 24 that everything that was written in the Psalms about him had to be fulfilled, which means there's things written about Jesus in the Psalms. So Jesus is really clear about this, which means we shouldn't be surprised that the authors of the New Testament also make this point over and over and over that the Psalms are fulfilled in Jesus, that the Psalms are talking about Jesus, that the Psalms point to Jesus. 
So, for example, John tells us in his gospel, in John 19, 24, about what was happening uh, at Jesus' death. It says, So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, talking about Jesus' seamless garment. Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. And then John tells us, This was to fulfill the scripture which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. Now that's a quote from Psalm 22, verse 18. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the same psalm that says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Talks about lots being cast uh, for garments, right? And that's fulfilled in Christ as well. Peter, when he preaches on the day of Pentecost, shows that he has learned the lesson Jesus taught about the psalms being fulfilled in him. Because in his sermon, in Acts chapter 2, he quotes Psalm 16. And he says this, so this is Acts 2, beginning in verse 25. Peter says, David says concerning him, that is about Jesus, the Messiah. David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me. At this point, he's quoting Psalm 16. I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. And that ends the quote of Psalm 16. And then Peter goes on and says, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. In other words, David could not have been talking about himself when he said, you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. Because David did die, his body did see corruption, it's still in the tomb. So Peter goes on, he says about David, Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. So Peter is saying Psalm 16 was written by David, but it's not about David. David was prophesying. David foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, Peter says. Later in Acts chapter 4, after the apostles have suffered persecution because of their preaching of Jesus, they come and tell the church, the believers about that. And then it says this, Acts 4, starting at verse 24, it says, And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so they're praying to God in the wake of this suffering, and they say in this prayer, say, okay, God, you said this, right? You said by the Holy Spirit, through David, these words. And this is what they say. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. Now that is a quote of Psalm 2, beginning in verse 1, which says, Why did the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? And so on. Right. So here's what they say in their prayer. For truly in this city, they're in Jerusalem, 
were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. Right? So it says that they, uh, these rulers have gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. And they say, okay, Jesus is your anointed. And in this city, we're gathered together against Jesus. Who? They say, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles, the nations, and the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan have predestined to take place. So in other words, they say, in the death of Jesus, through what Herod and Pilate and the people of Israel did, against Jesus, Psalm 2 was fulfilled. All right, then uh, Paul does the same thing. We won't read this one, but Paul does the same thing in Acts chapter 13, verse 32 to 37. He quotes Psalm 2, he quotes Psalm 16, and he shows how those are fulfilled in Jesus. Then in Paul's letter of Romans in chapter 15, he quotes several psalms. In Romans 15, 3, he quotes Psalm 69, verse 9, where he says, uh, As it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me, talking about Christ. In Romans 15, verses 8 and 9, he quotes Psalm 18, verse 49. In Romans 15, 11, he quotes Psalm 117, verse 1. And then in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 8 through 12, the writer of Hebrews quotes Psalm 45, verses five, or excuse me, verses six and seven, and Psalm 102, verses 25 to 27, and says these two are about Jesus. Now, uh, I want to take a moment to talk about that last one before we move on uh, to talking about why the Psalms are about Jesus, why it works this way. Psalm 102, verse 25 and 27 through 27 says this. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. That's just a clear statement about the difference between God and his creation. And the writer of Hebrews is saying this is also about Jesus. It's not about him as the Messiah, as the anointed one, like Psalm 2 is. It's just about him because he's God. He's God in the flesh. And so anything that's true about God is true about Jesus. So the writer of Hebrews can quote Psalm 102 and say, this is about Jesus also. All right, so Jesus says the Psalms are about me. Jesus shows us that the Psalms are about him. The other authors of the New Testament, uh, the apostles... Um, Luke, the writer of Hebrews, they also show us that the Psalms are fulfilled in Jesus. Now, why is this the case? Why are the Psalms about Jesus? Well, there are a few reasons. Number one, because the whole Bible is about Jesus. Uh, Jesus makes this point earlier in Luke 24, verse 27, where he says, it says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, Jesus, interpreted to them in all all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. In other words, there are things in the, in the Bible from start to finish of the Old Testament. The whole thing is about Jesus. And of course, the New Testament obviously is about Jesus as well. So if the whole Bible is about Jesus, it shouldn't surprise us that the Psalms are about Jesus. The second reason is the whole Bible is driven by the promise of Genesis 3.15. So in Genesis 3.15, God curses the serpent who had come and tempted Eve so that Eve and Adam ate of the fruit that God told them not to eat from or eat of. 
And he says to the serpent, God says to the serpent, I will put enmity, hostility, between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So from the woman is going to come a singular male child, a he, who is going to bruise or crush the serpent's head. All right, that's ultimately fulfilled in the cross, right, where Jesus conquers Satan by his death and resurrection, though Satan bruises his heel, as it, was, as it were. Okay, but the whole Bible is talking about this hostility between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent and the ultimate victory that's going to come when this particular seed, this particular offspring, this male child, the Messiah, is born and crushes the serpent. So if the whole Bible is talking about that, then the Psalms are going to be talking about that too. And if that's ultimately fulfilled in Jesus, then it's going to be saying things that Jesus is ultimately going to fulfill. For example, in Psalm 3, it talks about uh, breaking the teeth of the wicked. That's just a different way of talking about crushing uh, the serpent's head, really, or the offspring of the serpent, at least. So because Genesis 3.15 uh, is fulfilled in the rest of the Bible or teased out in the rest of the Bible, that's true in Psalms as well. Okay, here's another important reason why the Psalms are about Jesus. Who is the primary human author of the Psalms? It's David, right? David wrote many, many, many of the Psalms. And here's what we know about David. David received a promise from God in 2 Samuel 7 that God would give him a son, offspring, who would sit on his throne and God would establish that kingdom forever. That means that David at some point is going to have a son whose life does not ultimately come to an end because his throne, his kingdom is established permanently, forever. David knows that. And so David is going to talk about that. David is going to reflect on the fact that from his line is going to come the Messiah who's going to have an eternal kingdom. So if the Messiah is going to come from David, and David knows this promise that God made to him, then it makes sense that David would say things about that coming child, about that coming offspring, about that coming anointed one. And so he does. And then the last reason why the Psalms are about Jesus is because who are the Psalms mainly about? They're about God. They're about praising God, calling out to God for help, remembering God's promises, asking God to fulfill his promises, asking God to deliver his people, and on and on and on and on and on. They're all about God. And who is Jesus? He is God in the flesh. So even psalms that aren't in particular about the Messiah, all the psalms are in one way or another about God, and Jesus is God, so they are about him. So finally, how should this shape the way that we read the Psalms? Okay, if Jesus says the Psalms are about him, if the New Testament shows us over and over that the Psalms are fulfilled in Jesus, if the Psalms are about Jesus, how do we read the Psalms now, knowing more fully that the Psalms are about Christ? How do we, how do we walk through this doorway where we look at the Psalms and say, what is this saying about Jesus? How do we do that? Well, here's several uh, quick suggestions, ideas of how you can read the Psalms 
looking for Jesus. First of all, look at how Jesus and the New Testament authors connect the Psalms to Jesus and follow their example. Right? We've seen lots of examples. There are more all through the New Testament where the Psalms are connected to Jesus. And we can look at those, figure out what's going on, what's being said, which verses are being quoted, which Psalms are being referred to. And then we can go and look at the Psalms and find not only those Psalms and see how they're about Jesus, but similar Psalms that talk about similar things and see if we can make similar connections to Jesus. For example, if you see how David's experience of suffering is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus, then you can look at other Psalms that may not be quoted in the New Testament, but that do talk about David's suffering and see if those are also fulfilled in Jesus. All right, that's the first one. Here's the second one. Look for statements about God, which are all over the Psalms, and remember that those statements apply to Jesus, the Son of God, and to the Holy Spirit. There's one God who exists in three persons, and all those statements about God's character, His nature, the fact that He's eternal, and so on, those are not just about the Father. We need to remind ourselves that they're also about the Son and about the Spirit. All right, here's the third one. Third way we can uh, have our reading of the Psalms, our study of the Psalms, shaped by what we've learned here. Look for ways that David's experience anticipates the experience of Jesus. Now, we mentioned one example earlier, right? David's suffering. But what about the fact that David was exalted and made king, that he was lifted up? There are all kinds of ways that David's life forms a pattern that Jesus' life later fulfills or fills out. David suffered a lot. Jesus suffered more. David was exalted as a great king. Jesus was exalted more to God's right hand. See how David's experience spoken of in the Psalms is ultimately fulfilled in Christ. Look for those things. Here's another one. Look for reminders of God's victory over his enemies and the enemies of his people, which are traced back to Genesis 3.15, which is ultimately fulfilled in Christ. Here's another one. Look for celebrations of forgiveness, because we know that forgiveness only comes to us through Christ. So when you read Psalm 32 or Psalm 103, reflecting on the greatness of God's forgiveness, how blessed it is to have our sins forgiven, remember that that only truly took place through the death and resurrection of Christ. And then finally, Look for actions and promises in the Psalms that are so great they can only be accomplished or fulfilled for us by Jesus. Things that God promises to do, things that we are asking God to do that we know only fully come to pass or only fully realized because of Jesus, because of his life and death and resurrection. So in this session, what I wanted to do is just give you the big picture and if it's a little overwhelming, that's actually a good thing at this point. I want you to be overwhelmed by the evidence that the Psalms are about Jesus. You don't have to cram all this into your head right now. I just want you to see how abundantly the Bible testifies to the fact that the Psalms are about Christ. So that as we start studying individual Psalms, that we can look and see how these particular psalms or particular parts of psalms are pointing to Jesus and testifying by Jesus. And we won't be surprised by that because we'll have seen all, or not all, but a lot of the evidence pointing to that fact. 
And then we'll be able to look for more evidence, more connections to Christ, so that as we look at the Psalms, we won't just be looking for, how does this Psalm speak to me, or speak about me, as important as that is, or or resonate with me, again, as important as that is. But we will also see how these Psalms testify to Jesus, point to Jesus, and remind us about what Jesus has accomplished for us, how Jesus cares for us, uh, what Jesus has done for us, Jesus' faithfulness, right? Jesus being the Messiah, the Savior. And that will add just a greater richness, a greater depth to our understanding, our appreciation of these great psalms. God bless.